Every time someone comes out of the lift in the building where you work, you wish lift doors were made of glass. That way, you'd be able to see who's arriving a little before they actually arrive, and there'd be just enough time to prepare the correct facial expression. Your new colleague steps out of the lift dressed just a tad more casually than is really appropriate for the workplace, and because you weren't ready, you say hi with altogether too much force. She has a heart-shaped face with subtly rouged cheeks, short, straight, neatly cut hair, and eyes that are long rather than wide. She's black, but not local. This new colleague who wears her boots and jeans and scarves with a bohemian aplomb that causes the others to ask her where she shops. Oh, you know, thrift stores, she says with a chuckle. George at the desk next to yours says, charity shops? And the newcomer says, yeah, thrift stores. Lightning recap. In Helen Oyoyemi's, if a book is locked, there's probably a good reason for that, don't you think? A young woman's diary holds more than anyone can guess. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. This is the short story of a short podcast. I am Christopher John Paul Garcia here today with KB, also known as Christy Baxter. Correct. You, don't you mean internationally world-renowned short story interpreter Christy Baxter? Oh, that's right. I forgot that I added that to my resume. I'll have to make sure that I include that next week. Correct. Yes. Excellent. And, you know, this whole week, I've just been journaling and journaling and journaling and journaling. And I decided to tie it up with a piece of string, put some sealing wax on it, and uh, throw it into the fire. What short story did those flames produce? Those flames produced... If a book is locked, there's probably a good reason for that, don't you think? By Helen Oyayemi. This is a story I absolutely adore, and yet am not 100% sure I get all the way. <laughs> okay, good. I'm not alone, because I have the exact same feelings. I was like, I love this story. Don't know if I understand it, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think this is an example of a story in which the language is so compelling. But at the same time, the way it flows is, I wouldn't say nebulous, but it has this sort of much larger feeling than what we're getting. So it seems like it's hard to attach to sort of like, oh, this is what this is. Yeah, it's, I think part of that comes from, as, as a result of the, the flow, the magical realism doesn't really seem to come along until pretty close to the end. The author is very patient about breaking that aspect of it out so that if you didn't know coming into it that it was a magical realism story and you weren't expecting it, that would kind of be a nice, pleasant, if uh, sort of disassociative surprise. <laughs> and there are things that are, are 100% markers of magical realism before it gets to the magical part that exists here. One of my personal favorites is you give her an example. I grew up in a city where people fell out of windows a lot, you say. So I used to practice falling out of them myself. But after a few broken bones, I decided it's better just to not stand too close to windows. 100% 
I felt like I was reading one of the sort of the Spanish magical realism pieces, like like the uh, handsomest dead man in the world before it gets all funky. Exactly. Yes, there's there's hints of it here and there with kind of strange behavior. But as a reader, you don't know if it's just the, the social awkwardness of our our narrator and there's def- and that social awkwardness is there right from the beginning i mean the, the the sort of anxiety about presenting the correct facial expression and not saying hi too forcefully is given to us right from the beginning and so i, I think that that can sort of present a possible red herring where if you think for a second oh maybe this is magical realism or maybe she's just a little bit weird And ultimately, I think that's what magical realism in the 21st century is. It is that questioning of whether or not uh, things are supernatural or just weird. And Mm -hmm. part of that is, I think, one, that we are living in times that are generally weird. Uh, Hashtag influencers. Um, (laughs) <laughs> and second, and what I think is is really this story is attaching to, is at some point we are looking for the weird. So our assumption is there is something weird here. We just have to look hard enough. And this story is that all the way. <laughs> and what I love about that is it lets you play in what we think is our normal world to give these fun little vignettes that I love. And, you know, uh, um, there were one of the paragraphs about the, uh, oh, that's the other thing we have to mention, though. It's written in second person. Yes, I have that in my notes, too. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and here, second person can be, can be troubling because it's often... I guess prescriptive is the way I would say it it forces you into a story path. And often that story path is towards either adventure or crime, but here it's more of a story exploration. It's saying you're experiencing these things and that's very, very different. And to me, it's much more effective. I feel it's a wonderful point of view for magical realism as a whole. And that's because it, it's the most inviting of all the points of view. It invites the reader to become the protagonist themselves in that prescriptive manner. Yes. And it can be prescriptive in this case. It's, it's definitely more inviting. And I think that's what makes it work because one of the, magical things about magical realism is that it's magic that is so rooted in the real world that it does give you more of this possibility that anything can really happen to you to me as a as a person and in this world then say reading more i i don't know if i want to say conventional fantasy but the more you know like frequently written fantasy that it that takes place in other worlds and does, it feels less accessible. This, that second person, sort of connects that rooted in the real world to the magic and makes it feel all the more magical and possible to the reader, I think. Yeah, Brandon Sanderson writing second person wouldn't work. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. As as great as Brandon is, my favorite baby faced goon. Uh, love that guy. Uh, good friend. Uh, <laughs> uh, but you know what's great is there are little moments here that I just I think it moves beyond the story into the sort of character setting like um uh what's the point of me saying any more than i've said is it eloquence that makes people believe things you are all morons (laughs) (laughs) and i love this idea of having magic realism stem from a story about a toxic workplace that is the (laughs) last place you expect it (laughs) you're absolutely right but what's great about that is that the the workplace comedy, the workplace fantasy, the workplace horror is a genre that has been explored over the past about decade in film, less so in books. Uh, we sort of get the the closest we get, I think, are things like uh, Charlie Strauss's uh, where he takes the police force and makes it into sort of a magical realism thing. Um, there There's actually a lot of cop sort of stuff that does that. Um, but there's a great one. Uh, oh, I cannot remember what it's called, but basically the whole premise is that Cthulhu is the boss and has gone down for a nap and is coming back to the office and everyone is trying to file all their reports. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could remember what it was called because it was so funny. Um, Cthulhu but is this coming. One... Look busy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um What's great is that how this flows is brilliant, how it it interacts with the reader. And this one very much interacts with the reader, even more so, I think, than just the second person, because it's giving you this sort of breathing room for you to take in on it. It also gives you something that I really appreciated, which was a quiet friendship. Between the, the narrator or or the reader, as it were, maybe with that second person point of view, and Eva, the, the owner of the diary. And it's not, we're not necessarily given any sense of whether this will be a lasting friendship or one way or the other. But I do appreciate that we get the friendship and that that is, I think that serves as a foundational basis for the story that she is, the, the, the narrator is really the one person who's on Eva's side. <laughs> and what I love about the actual interaction with the diary is it's how I would read a diary. Uh, that's exactly how. Because I'm reading it going like, yep, that's me. Yeah. Oh, oh dear. Yeah. Yeah. Also, Eva is an interesting character in herself because she, I guess in my first reading, she came off as not quite needy, but necessary. Hmm, interesting. Can you explain that a little bit further? I can and I will. Is that it feels as if she has been inserted into, I guess, the reader's life, not only to make the story possible, but to give it the color that it needs. And because if this is just you interacting with an office, and oh, by the way, there's this weird diary, um, it's one story. 
But when you have this very specific person who's, I really don't know how to explain Eva's personality type. Um, not quite neurotic. Not quite neurotic. Uh, I felt she standoffish. Standoffish is probably probably the closest. Distant, um, maybe. Uh, uh, distant. Doesn't doesn't form relationships easily. Whatever. If there's a single word for that, the Germans probably have one. Detached. Detached. Detached works really good. That's perfect. There we go. We found it. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to Chris and Christy need a thesaurus. <laughs> <laughs> This is the show where we don't know about thesaurus.com. <laughs> yes. But I think that that, that that sense is that she's put in here to sort of stand apart from us, but also to represent a type of reader, which I think is actually interesting. I think a lot of this story is actually about how we interact with literature of the fantastic. And... I think that, you know, when your fantastic literature is actually fantastical, um, when it is of the more, uh, it really changes sort of how you look at it. And if you are the person who encounters this and, and builds it, basically, you are one type of person, one type of reader, one type of uh, interactor. And then the main you know the you in this story who is us in particular me um <laughs> has another way of viewing it because they were detached from it initially and i think there is something about separation here that that she's dealing with that i i really like um but also i am a clove smoking nihilist so <laughs> I think detachment is really kind of the name of the game here, which is interesting because of the fact that the second person pulls you in closer. And yet there's this element of detachment that is a thread that's running through the story. In that way, I, I think it sort of yanks you back and forth a little bit purposefully and, and in a good way so that you're never quite settled on your feet as you're reading it, which I think we need with that with, with with magical realism we can never quite trust the ground underneath our feet or trust that a, a diary is just a diary or that a sandwich is just a sandwich unless it's a manwich um we can only trust manwich so do do not say damn the manwich no it is trust the manwich he will take care of you truer words <laughs> Also, we are now never allowed to play a feminism card. Um, we also should stop taking LSD before we record. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> I think there's... This last scene is what kind of troubles me the most. It's that I'm not entirely sure if we've made it to an ending. Yeah, certainly. I agree with that. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working on my little my little verbal foibles. <laughs> it's that ending spun my head around. And 
I love that it ends with a question because we we've read the diary, sort of. We haven't, or you know, the narrator, whoever is in play here, insists that they haven't, but there's still this sense that they at least know something about what's in it. And then then there's the question of well, why was it locked in the first place? Because Eva makes the narrator wonder if they were correct about why she locked it, that she didn't want anybody to read it. But then what is the answer to that question? If, if the answer to the question is, or if the question is, so you still think that's why I locked it, is the answer, she, why did she lock it? <laughs> and I have maybe one little theory. <gasps> what is it? Well, it seems I might have found a key in when she was was told to, to keep quiet all the time. You know, it seemed, even her own self was telling her to keep quiet. And so maybe she locked her words in the diary not to keep them from being read, but to keep them from coming out of her. Something along those lines? I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a half-formed theory. It needs a little more time in the oven. It's the representation of her thought by making it form keeps it from coming out of her elsewise. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. Thank you for thank you for baking my thought. It was really a broil. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think actually that's a really good theory. Um, yeah, it's better than any theory I've got. So I'll go. <laughs> and I think when you compare this to some of the other more ambiguous endings that we've had, uh, some stairs only descend uh, is the one that comes to mind. This is much more satisfying an ending. Mm-hmm. Because I am okay with it being open-ended because we are so personified as the narrator that life is open-ended. And I think that that sensation, because all the way through we're presented with kind of a slice of life, really. And I think that that prepared me for being more uh, goth dancing. Um, uh, <laughs> Yeah, for being more open-ended, whereas Some Stairs Only Descend uh, is sort of more, uh, shut up, this is my story, <laughs> I think is really. I do feel like open-ended is the best type of ending for magical realism, because magical realism is all about the possibilities in our real world, and what is an open-ended ending, if not all about possibilities, because the ending is whatever we want it to be. Correct. And it was coming. <laughs> you really kept me waiting on that one. <laughs> yes. And so, yeah, I think this was a story that I really appreciated reading it, even if I didn't grok it fully. And, you know, sometimes those are the best stories. Uh, uh, Philip K. Dick is like that for me excessively. I don't get Philip K. Dick like, woo, but I totally love reading his book. I love the act of reading them. Not necessarily the act of making sense of them. Yeah, I think, I think English classes and, and education and schooling, for, for all the good that they do, have also put too much emphasis on understanding or interpreting. And it's not to say that those aren't useful things, but I feel like that there needs to be a second emphasis on appreciating the story in itself. You don't have to 
fully understand it in order to appreciate many aspects of it. So I, I, I hereby grant myself, I grant you, Christopher J. Garcia, I grant all of our listeners and any students out there free reign to appreciate without fully understanding. That's commie talking. I'm not going to put up with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm as red as the day is long. <laughs> I'm as red as the state you live in. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we are uh, light purple. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> Got any more thoughts on this one? No, I think we actually, we covered all of my thoughts. Uh, all, everything in my notes has been checked off, except not really, just kind of mentally. Perfect. Excellent. Well, hey, Christy. Yes? What are we going to read next week? Next week, we are going to read another story about an object that contains multitudes. Wasn't on purpose. Didn't realize that when I picked these two stories. I just knew that they were both magical realism, and I was attracted to the titles. So next week, we are going to read Fairy, The Fairy Handbag by Kelly Link. Woohoo, Kelly Link. Magic for Beginners. Uh, I believe this is in that collection, one of my favorite. And yes, so that will be a fun one. And we'll take the whole week until we see each other next to really mull over how we, how we get into that. Absolutely. We will not, by any means, start recording that episode as soon as we finish this one. No, never. Not in a million years. Or <laughs> today. All right. Well, in that case, this has been The Short Story. The Short Podcast.